Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is February the 8th, 2021. It is Monday. This is episode 2,821. Today's show will be a little different than what we've been talking about lately, but it won't be different than what we've talked about a lot over the years. Um, today's show is called As Paradigms Fall, The Media is in Denial, and the Elites Capitalize. Uh, and I will say that in the interest of not having a mile-long title, because that one's pretty long as it is, the media and, hum and, and the average people are who's in denial. The vast majority of the world is in denial of paradigms falling right now. There's paradigm shifts, and there's par where paradigms completely collapse. We're living in a collapsed society. And that does not mean that tomorrow morning or next week or next year or even next decade you're going to be eating your dog. When I say collapsed society, people always want to jump to um, <clears throat> the concepts that we get out of like uh, dystopian survival zombie movies or something, you know, uh, or uh, Patriots the Coming Collapse by James Rusley Rawls, something like that. Society has lived through paradigm collapses for as long as society has been a thing. And they generally last somewhere between 50 and a couple hundred years before they collapse and they shift into something new. It, it's, it's nothing new. Everybody talks about the movie The Matrix, you know. Neo, man, you know, he ate the red pill and, you know, then you know the truth. and like, But no one seems to really ever discuss the totality of the Matrix trilogy and what the real message was. What happens at the end? Supposedly it's going to be different this time, but in the end, what happens? What do you find out? Oh, this has happened over and 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 over again. All it is is the end of a play, and then we're going to reset the cast, and everything's going to cycle a second time, or a third time, or a thousandth time. Who knows how long it had been going in that. They don't really actually ever tell you. But they did tell you the secret to the whole thing. In the first few minutes of the very first movie, the character's name, Neo, it means new. The one, the one that would bring about change was just simply starting everything over. And that's how these paradigm shifts and paradigm collapses occur. This is a natural progression of humanity. This can't be another way. Because all we have to do is look at history and see it's happening over and over and over and over again. We need to approach these things, especially at this point in society, which is one of the most critical points that society has ever experienced. And I'll explain why when we dig deeper into this today. But we need to approach this the way you do. Well, right now, I'm getting ready. I'm getting ready for, a, it's not really a storm, it's a cold front. It's a cold front, and the models are all over the place, right? For Central Texas. We could have lows down to zero, or we could have, eh, maybe it won't even freeze that much. We don't know yet. Probably the truth somewhere lies in the middle. The best models look like we're going to have temperatures in the teens several days. We're going to have a couple days that go by where we do not go above freezing. For someone that has so many systems that are water-based, like I do, this is something I have to get ready for. 
exactly what it will look like, I don't know. I do know that water freezes when it gets cold and that that cold is coming in some form. And hence, I need to prepare for it. So that's how we're going to be coming at this today. And I'll give you some other analogies that I think will help that make a lot of sense. Before we do that, let's go ahead and get uh, a mention in for our two sponsors of the day today. Sponsor today, number one today, is ButcherBox, ButcherBox.com. Guys, I'm going to tell you the truth here. ButcherBox made the entire food shortage thing during the pandemic beginning meaningless to me. Absolutely meaningless to me. And so many people tried to get into the butcher box system that they shut it down for months during that period of time. But the customers that they had, they got taken care of. I think we're looking at shortages again. Services like butcher box are kind of a way to become part of a group buy if you really think about it. Now, they don't market it that way, and I'm not saying it's a co-op that takes care of you. But what I'm saying is when you think about it, they have a certain number of customers. They have a certain amount they're going to ship every month. They have the existing relationships, and it's great quality stuff. So it's, 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 it's a good deal. The quality is exceptional, and it's yet one more source that you have in the shortages we're going to see this year because we're going to see shortages this year. Quit asking me when and quit asking me how bad. I don't know. I don't know, and I never said I did. Right? I'm just saying it's going to happen. And all I have to do is look at the amount that we have of reserve in corn, soy, wheat, and barley and understand that that's what most of the animals are fed. And that's what they make most of the food out of. And we already have shortfalls. And a lot of this stuff we're not going to harvest again until freaking fall. All right? So there'll be shortages. I don't know when. I don't know how bad. And I don't know when they're going to start. But they're going to come. Just like this storm we're talking about. Next up today, Jeff the Berkey Guy Gleason. Guys, Water is life. You should be filtering your water all the time anyway. When you hear on the radio, we have a boil water advisory in effect for at least the next two weeks. The water was already contaminated before they figured it out and told you that. And I know people are like, well, I'm on a well. I'm on a well. Oh, that means if your well gets contaminated, you won't know until you get sick. Berkey is the way. It's the most economical way. It looks great, and it really can't fail. There's no moving parts in it. Check him out today. Uh, Jeff, the Berkey guy, Gleason. You'll find his website at directive21.com. He has other great stuff for your prepping needs. All right, so let's dig into this. What started this today? I got up. I spent some time in the, the morning office. You guys can figure out what that means. All right? And you know, I happened to pick my, take my phone with me, and I took a look at some things, and I pulled up one of my crypto apps. And I'm like, what the hell? What? That's a good surprise. What's driving this? Bitcoin's at forty-four grand. What's going? On? What's going on here? Ten seconds into it, I found the media going ape over the fact that Elon Musk announced that Tesla purchased one point five billion dollars worth of Bitcoin, mostly in January, and as part of being a public company, they had to disclose this. Every article on it. It didn't. This doesn't surprise me because once you see a pattern, you know what to look for, right? But every single article on this, even though most of the articles were pretty good about reporting the facts and didn't say anything directly not true, there was this passive-aggressive undertone attacking Musk, attacking Tesla, and above all, Bitcoin itself, right? I'm pretty sure that there's this one phrase I saw in every article. I've seen this phrase over and over and over and over again since about... 2014. I'm pretty sure that these, these so-called journalists today, for different categories of stories, there's like an AP-approved list of phrases to use whenever you write about a thing. I'm sure this one's on it. 
Bitcoin is a digital currency that is not guaranteed by a bank or a government. They mean that as an attack. Absolutely, they mean what? I mean, that's not backed by a government? It's not backed by a bank? It's not guaranteed? Oh, right? They mean this as an attack, ignoring or not knowing the entire point is to not be attached to a bank, to not be attached to a government. Let me put it this way. In a way that likely I bet no one has ever put it this way to you before. Do you trust, which one of these two do you trust more, A or B? A, the state, B, math. Do you trust math more or the state more? And I think anybody with an IQ above, you know, high enough to know what math is would, would trust math more. Um, I mean, think about it this way. Let's say Congress and the president got together. They passed a law. The 2 plus 2 is 14 law. And, and they passed this law. They all agree 2 plus 2 now equals 14. And with a straight face, your president comes on your TV and says... This law will rectify something that's been wrong for a very long time and correct an inaccuracy. It is important that everybody absorb this and understand it right away and start teaching it. Would you believe that 2 and 2 now equals 14? Sadly, many would. But it would not change the reality, would it? And I mean, I guess you could change the number 2 or the number the number 4 into 14 and the number Four into fourteen into four, like you could switch what you call them, but the fundamental reality that if you have two of something and two more of something, that when you put those two to get those things together, you have four of them. That we could count that and quantify that somehow. That's not going to change. But society has been conditioned to believe things based on authority. You hear it all the time with, well, I believe science, or I believe in science. Science is not something you believe in. You believe in a god. You believe in a deity. Science is something you use. Science is something you examine. Science is something you make a conclusion from based on what we know so far with an understanding that it could change. But no, no. We now live in a society that believes that science itself is a thing onto itself that has authority in your life, the way a religion does. We've converted a logical analysis of the facts as we understand them into a faith. And that's why you can, you can legitimately tell people what to believe and they'll do it. But we're now living in what I'm calling the great age of dying paradigms. And I know I'm going to talk about crypto some today. It's not a crypto show, but a lot of people in my audience want me to ignore crypto. They just don't want to hear about it. I think most of the people that feel that way, you listen to this show in 2014, 2015, 2016, etc., and I said, you really should put some money here, and you didn't do it because you couldn't understand that it could possibly work, and now you're angry. That's one group. And the other group just doesn't understand it. And See, there's more than one type of cognitive dissonance. We, we talk a lot about cognitive dissonance from a standpoint of like if somebody's presented with facts in conflict of what they believe, right, that they'll experience mental discomfort. When you're presented with facts that you can't understand, because you either because you don't want to or you haven't absorbed them fully, it causes the same sensation of cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance, when you see somebody has cognitive dissonance, it's not always an insult. If somebody breaks their arm and you say they have arm pain, 
You're not insulting them, right? He broke his arm. He's got arm pain. Well, of course he does, right? When This is a human characteristic that when you're told something and it just, it just completely divorces the reality you've believed in up till now, it's painful. Even if it's not, you know, believing something stupid like Trump killed more people than Hitler, right? There, there's that, that kind of cognitive dissonance we mock so much. It's made us not appreciate the cognitive dissonance that's just a fundamental of humanity. Again, this is a great age of dying paradigms. I can't leave Bitcoin alone or crypto alone for you guys because I'm not here to make you feel good. I'm here to help you understand what's happening so you can adjust to it. Money is only one place these paradigms are falling. But crypto is a big part of that reality. You can't ignore it. But it's coming to energy, healthcare, real estate, food, every major facet of human life. It's all moving toward decentralization. This is the conflict. Every problem we have today is either caused by or exasperated by the concept of centralization of control and power. Even like The thing that would have been the most decentralized 200 years ago would have been farming. If you really think about it, 200 years ago, in the United, let's say in the United States, 150 years ago even, little farms everywhere. And yeah, there was some level of centralization in the supply system, but there was complete autonomy. Each farm did whatever the hell it wanted to do. Today, we grow mostly five foods, and where you are will determine what you grow and how much money you get from the government to enable you to grow it. It's a completely controlled system. That's centralization, and it is a big part of the problem. And it was an answer to the, one of the last shifts in paradigms. People began to become more free. They had more control. So what did you do? You let them have their control, and you centralized the systems themselves. And over time, over a century, that, that control was consolidated and became more and more powerful. And it's reaching the end of its useful life. It's caused massive damage. And if you look at agriculture, one of the reasons the food system has to change, you can't keep getting the yields that we've been getting with just more chemistry. We've done too much damage. We have to change the way we even grow food. I think part of the plant shortage is less than a plant shortage than acceptance that there's going to be shortages, and they need something to blame in the interim, and they might as well use it to try to continue to control people when it happens. But where we're really at with this is the elite are pushing to keep some form of form some form of centralization in the mix. Because how do you control the decentralized? You don't. So you're going to have to create some kind of hybrid. But the people building the decentralized solutions want nothing to do with enabling the state. And what it's resulting in is a new order of things. A new world order. And the media is fighting to deny that it's even happening. And if you, I guarantee you when I said new order of things or new world order, you probably bristled. Right? Because either your conspiracy theorist is like, yeah, we're going to talk about this now, like the Illuminati, right? Or you're like, oh, God, the Illuminati. Come on, Jack, don't go there. I'm going to use that term today because it's the only term we can use that makes sense here. It has nothing to do with any specific group of people, though, like the New World Order Club or something like that. We live in a, a world that has an order today. And 
We're going to talk about how that order becomes new, and we can look right past any kind of Illuminati secrets or anything like that. There is an order to the world, is all I'm saying. In other words, if we went to any particular time in history, you could describe the world order of the time. If you looked at the time when Romans were the most dominant people in the world, the majority of the civilized world fell under Roman control. And there was a very specific order to the world. Namely, it was run mostly on slave labor. Slave had no race or gender or age or national origin. Many slaves were, were, were from the empire internally. Many were from new pieces that were being con uh, conquered. But society ran off the backs of slave labor in Rome. And there were stratifications and classes of people in Rome. You were a slave. You were a provisional citizen. Okay? Provisional citizen means you were a freed slave, but you were not actually a full citizen yet. You were a lower class citizen, a middle class citizen, or an upper class citizen. Or you were a citizen of some satellite government that was controlled by the Romans. And that was pretty much, and that whole order worked out in a way that was controlled from a small group controlling a large masses. In fact, did you know this? During the height of Rome, There was a movement by the Roman Senate to, like, maybe we should be able to make sure we know who the slaves are. So we should come up, like, they had certain things they couldn't wear if you were a slave, but the slave dressed a lot like a poor person. It was a poor, poor citizen. They were thinking, well, maybe we should actually come up with a uniform for slaves. So, like, when we're walking around, you're like, slave, slave, slave. And, and the cooler heads prevailed because they said, well, you know what would happen if we did that? They'd know how many of them there are. Think about that. And they didn't do it because they were afraid if the slaves knew how many slaves there were, you would have the slave results that eventually did come anyway. But if they really knew how many, man, maybe then it wouldn't have been just, you know, what was it, 70,000 people with Spartacus? Maybe it would have been a couple million just all at once just turned on their masters. And they had reason to fear that because what would you do if you if you were a slave but then you figured that out? This is just how society has always been. As long as we've had civilization, we've had an order to the world, a system of hierarchy and controls. That's all world order means. How precisely, right now, is the majority of control exerted throughout the world? And since we know it must fall, what will the new one look like? Now, none of this should surprise any of you who followed TSP for the last few years now. As early as 2014, I've been saying... The decade between 2020 and 2030 will be the biggest decade of flux any living human will ever see. That it will be like the period just before the Civil War, say about 1850, all the way up through World War II, till about 1950. So if you look at that 100-year cycle, 1850 to 1950, people that lived through that, they literally, through, the, through like a decade at a time, had a world that they wouldn't have even have recognized five to ten years before, and it happened over and over and over and over and over again all the way through there. I mean, think about the shifts in power and money and technology. We can't really get a perspective on it. These people watched the world go from horse and buggy to airplanes crossing oceans. This all accumulated with the most horrific two wars in history, so far anyway. And it included things like the fall of the divine right of kings, redrawing the world maps, and hundreds of other things that we just wash over today in history class. If The thing is, if you went back to 1850 and said, 
Here's a thing or two that's going to happen in the next 50 to 100 years. They would have thought you were stark raving mad. And the difference now is extreme in how, let's say, the last 80 years went. So up to 1950, from 1950 to 2020, you might think, well, Jack, at your age, you know, like me, you should be able to look at that and say, man, boy, you talk about a, a time of change. 1950 to 2020, holy crap. How about just 1990 to 2000, or 1990 to 2010? Look at all the technology changes. But there's a difference. By 1950, we were no longer shocked by change. We got into the 60s and said, can we go to the moon? People were like, well, we split the atom, so I guess we can. Tons of things changed between 1950 and 2020, but they didn't shake society like the prior hundred years because we had gotten to a point where we were expecting change. And actually, as much change as there was in technology, the order stayed very constant. There's groups that got civil rights in the meantime and what have you, but in the end... The way society functions in 2020 is not that much different than it functioned in 1960. There's just different technologies that we use. There's a difference between technology and the order of the world. Now, this is where we shift. This is hard to understand, but it's really important to understand. You take that societal shift from 1850 to 1950, 100 years. Jam it into 10. And that's what 2020 to 2030 looks like. And I think you're getting more into like 2030 to 2040 for the whole thing to play out. But the vast majority of it is going to be front and loaded in the next 10 years. And what happened to make that occur was early last year, gas and kerosene were poured on the fire. The gas, of course, was COVID. So if you've ever thrown gas on a fire, you know what happens. Really, really hot, really, really fast. But then the effect is gone. Whatever else it caught on fire burns. But what happens when you put kerosene or fuel oil on a fire? You get a long, sustained, excessive, hot burn that makes the fire spread even more. So it doesn't burn as hot as fast right away, but in the long duration, it has more consuming fire come from it. What was the, the kerosene? The pandemic. The way that the world responded to this disease, which is serious, but it's not anything like they've made it out to be. I mean, really, like our great-grandparents would just be kicking our asses right now. They lived through smallpox. This is a joke compared to smallpox. And I don't mean to put down anybody who lost somebody or whatever, but you have to understand when you start, but, but you don't understand, I lost somebody. Okay, <laughs> that's special pleading. That's a fallacy. I understand that. But people lose people every day. Thousands of people die every day. A, a, a huge number of people that died from this were in elder care facilities where the average life expectancy is four months. How long did you expect them to live? And I don't want to dig deeper into that, but I'm telling you, the fact remains. We were going to have COVID. We didn't have to have the destruction of the economy. Those two things did not have to both happen. But we chose to do it. And the paradigms are now falling. You've heard me say it as COVID is killing the dying, and I don't mean people. I've been saying that for almost a year now. We now have a new world order coming that is more about a coming storm than it is about a group of people. 
no matter how it plays out, that's it doesn't even matter. Well, you know, the greater the great reset, they want to do this. In the new world order, when you're talking about a specific group of people, and the Bilderbergs want to do this, and this is like I've said this before, but you want in one hand and shit in the other and see what fills up faster. These people have a lot of power. They're going to have an effect, but they're not going to get exactly what they want, and neither are you. But think about this analogy. This is the best analogy I can give you for this. Let's say a storm comes, a big rainstorm, like tropical storm rains, but to a more interior part of the country, which is what happened last year. That's why a lot of the crops got flooded out. And this rain comes, and it's a deluge of rain, and it rains, and it rains, and it rains. And one farm... The crops are basically destroyed. They're set back a year. The field is so full of water and muck, all you can do is wait for several months for it to dry out. And then you're late in the season and you got to start something over. And it's just, it's devastating. Maybe whoever starts over is actually a new farmer because the old farmer loses the farm. It's so bad from that one storm. Another farmer understands the concept of designing to the flood. No matter where you are, you have to do it in a desert. But you should do it anywhere. You design your system to deal with a 100-year flood event. You design it so that instead of shedding water, it actually infiltrates and captures water. The reason these fields turn into lakes of standing water in these floods, the water can't go into the earth. The water wants to go into the earth. It can't get in there. They plow every year as a hard pan down only about a foot. It's impermeable to the water. Most of it's got a clay base in it. How are you going to get water to infiltrate a clay base? We build, we build dams out of clay. But another farm, instead of trying to maximize the production in the good years, they give up a little bit for riparian areas. They give up a little bit for no-till. They, they put tree systems in. They put ponds in. They put swales in, and swales spread the water and fill the ponds. All that water that's sitting in that pond is not sitting on the land. And when that rain event is over, even if it causes some discomfort, that farm survives. And now what? They're drought-proof for, for six months or more. If they did it right, once the storm comes and passes and goes away, it could be six months without a drop of rain and the farm is still doing fine because the water went in. This is what you're about to deal with, guys. This is what's coming. This is a storm. You don't get to decide if this happens or not. And you don't get to know exactly what it looks like. It's like the cold front coming, literal cold front coming to me right now. All I know is it's going to get a lot colder than it's been. And there's a good chance that it could be a multi-day event that's going to freeze up all my shit. And either I get ready for it, I purge all my pipes, I flush water through all my ponds to raise the temperature in them. That takes them longer to cool down. Or I end up with burned out pumps and blown pipes. That's, those are my two choices. I don't have an option C. You know, option C is we'll just ignore it. Well, that's what's going to result then. A bunch of shit breaking. Now, people would say, but what if those uh, more conservative estimates are right and you don't get a huge cold front? It's not that big of a deal and it passes you. Okay. This is what I'm trying to get into people's heads right now. We can't say the exact day these types of major events are going to come, but we can look at the alignment of atmospheric behavior and say, it's coming soon. Like, they call them 100-year floods for a reason, right? There's some, there's some regularity to these extreme environmental events. When it comes to 
shifting of the orders of the world, when it comes to collapse of paradigms, it runs usually on about a hundred year cycle. And, you know, there's big ones. Kind of think of it like solar minimums and grand solar minimums, kind of like that. We mimic nature. So we have like these paradigm shifts and falls in between, but the overriding architecture sort of stays in place. That would be kind of the last 80 years. And then eventually, pfft, and it shouldn't really surprise you much, the 2030s, 90 years from the start date I gave you in 1950. And we could probably pull that back to right around the end of World War II and get really, really close to a 100-year cycle. And then just accept the fact there's accelerant on this cycle change. Let's talk about the true lesson Tesla's Bitcoin buy tells us, along with the media's response to it. So the media's response is basically this. This is crazy Elon being stupid with his money again. His shareholders' money. This is going to end badly. This is not guaranteed by the government. Blah, 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 blah. And then just basically crapping on everything that they can scrape to crap on. They're like, every article I read also said, nah, not just a few weeks ago, he was pumping Dogecoin. The Dogecoin pump is a freaking joke. It's a, it's a trade manipulation. Nobody's going out and saying, hey, you know what? Dogecoin is the future of cryptocurrency. No, what people did is they looked at this stupid idea of a joke that somehow survived. It became like for tipping people for porn or something like that. There's like 180 billion units of this, but they said this is so cheap. If we do to this what we did to GameStop, we could probably pump it and dump it and make some money on it. So when you have somebody saying, well, I've invested long in stock ABC, pointing out, but yeah, last week you were doing short-term plays with XYZ, is irrelevant. But they got to scrape because there's nothing here to do. What just happened? What just happened was foretold on Twitter. I can't remember the guy that put the tweet out. He said this a couple months ago. He said he, he tweeted to Musk. He said, if you want to do your shareholders a trillion-dollar favor, capitalize into Bitcoin. And our, you know, my favorite people to love and, and kick is Peter Schiff, who came out and said, uh, he, Elon Musk is not so stupid as to invest in Bitcoin, because Schiff is part of the old guard. He's a good guy, but he can't see the forest for the trees. He can't understand how his worldview of gold and silver is falling apart. It's falling apart. You are not going to control the world of the future with the money of the past. That doesn't mean Bitcoin is the future of everything. I'm not one of those people. But what I'm telling you is this idea that we're going to dig money out of a hole, we're going to dig a substance out of a hole, form it into a bar, and stick it back into a hole and make that our store of value is a dying paradigm. Now, I'm not selling all my gold and silver. There's always playing your hedges and diversifying your investments. The same person that's buying a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin probably has a half a billion or more in gold and silver. Or maybe a billion in gold. Maybe they have equal amounts. I don't know. You, you never go all in on one thing unless you're a fool. Only fools go all in on one thing. Because you only have one potentially good outcome and a thousand bad ones. But I can't leave this alone for you guys. I can't not talk about this. This is the shift in banking is what this is. And what you're going to see now, this is what's going to happen next. 
this is the first major corporation to make a sizable capital investment investment in Bitcoin when the business itself is not a crypto business. In other words, if you have a crypto brokerage service and they're holding a bunch of Bitcoin or something else, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something that builds stuff, taking their excess capital and instead of holding dollars, says, yeah, we're going to hold Bitcoin. It will not be the last. And it's going to drive the price through the roof. That doesn't mean it might not retract to 25 grand next week. Or lower. I don't know. Long term. You're now getting into the point where this scarcity that we've been trying to explain to people for years is going to come to a head. How many companies, just do the math, how many companies can actually buy $1.5 billion worth of Bitcoin at the current price? And the answer is none. One more company can't go and keep the price where it is. It has to go up. There's not enough available. There's not enough people willing to sell at the current price to do another capital buy this high. So what happens when 10 companies do it? New ETFs out. The day the ETF was announced is the day that uh, Elon and Tesla come out public with this. Now, they had to do it sooner or later. Exactly when they had to do it, I don't know. They're a publicly traded company. Something like this has to be in shareholder reports and stuff like that. And you don't want to surprise people too early, and there are limits on how long you can go before you announce something publicly when you're a publicly traded company. But all these other paradigms are coming too. Don't think this is about cryptocurrency. Food production. The entire paradigm of food production is dying. The idea that we can just not worry about it. This is, the, this is, you gotta, before you understand what's happening, you have to define the current par paradigm that we've had for, since 1950. Agriculture, that's what farmers do. Don't worry about it. War's over, stop worrying about your victory garden, let's get rid of the chickens from the cities. Farmers live in farm country, far away. Smells like cow shit there, you don't want nothing to do with it, you don't have to worry about it, pay your taxes, we'll subsidize your basic needs, your milk, your eggs, your cheese, your grain, we'll make sure that you eat, the scientists will take care of it, we're going to have great big flat hills, we're going to dig giantly deep wells, we're going to fund the shit out of it, with loans and ag loans, and we're going to tell the farmers to go big or go home. That was the 70s when that happened. And you don't have to worry about it. And all you have to do is go, to the, go get a good job, make some money, and go to the grocery store, and the food will be there. That was not the paradigm in 1900. That's not how people thought about food. They thought about food totally differently. And they really thought about differently through the 1930s and the Dust Bowl and the Great Depression. But see, there was so much irrational exuberance at the end of the Second World War. It's over and we're in charge now. Everything will be fine. Go home, get a job, build in highways or something, and we'll take care of this. And the way they did it was by they took the weapons of war, mechanization and chemicals, the weapons of war, and they turned it into how we farmed. We started farming the way we fight wars. Just look at farm equipment and look at battlefield tanks. Look at the spray tanks and think of chemical warfare. 
This is what we did. That has reached its limit. That's why people are digging into things like vertical farming and indoor growing and all this stuff. Not because it's the greatest idea in the world, because you got to do something. That's what you have to understand. We're at a point where everybody is scrambling to do something to figure out what the next thing's going to be. Medicine. Did the same thing with medicine. The current medical paradigm is what? The doctor is in charge. The doctors know everything. The science is settled. When you get sick, here's a drug. As though a sickness was a deficiency in a drug. Now, if the person has scurvy and you give them vitamin C, I think that makes perfect sense because scurvy is a deficiency in vitamin C. We now have it in such a way, though, that if you actually were to sell vitamin C and claim it cured scurvy, you would go to prison because it would turn it into a drug magically because of the, the phrasing, even though the claim is completely true. Vitamin C does cure scurvy. Everybody knows this. But you could not sell vitamin C as a cure to scurvy. Now, it's not really a great marketing campaign because there's enough vitamin C and stuff today, and there's enough variance in diet today that almost nobody gets scurvy anymore. It's not something people really worry about anymore. It doesn't change the fact that that's the paradigm. You get sick, go to the doctor, get a drug. This has reached the end of its effective lifetime. It doesn't mean drugs don't work anymore. It doesn't mean that some drugs don't work phenomenally well. But this idea that every problem we have can be remedied with a medication is dying. So that means that the paradigm of medicine is dying. Energy production. Latest report I heard was we have 30 years of oil left. I swear to God these people are going to make me eye roll myself into another dimension. I, I was immediately back in 8th grade. In 8th grade, I was in a science class. And I was looking through my science book, and I found this infographic. Infographics are not only something that we do now that there's an Internet. Trust me, back in 1983, we still had infographics. I looked at this, and there was a picture of like an oil well and a picture of a coal mine and, and what have you. And it said, in the natural gas, and it said how much time we had left. And I remember this very clearly because my father ran a gas station and tire shop. So the average kid might have looked at that and said, yeah, whatever, we'll do something different. To me, like, gas is how my dad makes money. Gas is how, that's when I go home and I eat dinner, he paid for it by selling gas. And he actually paid for it by selling tires. He didn't make hardly any money on gas. I didn't know that. I was a kid. But it said 35 years. So I get out a piece of scrap paper, and I'm, like, figuring out the math. And I'm like, wait a minute. And I remember turning the book to the front. for the When was the book? Published. I know these books are old. 1978. So I do the math and I figure out when 35 years is. And a teacher comes over and she's, oh, you, you get that feeling when you're a kid and the teacher's over your shoulder. You can feel their angry gaze on you, right? Like you feel a dog looking at you when you're eating your last bite of a sandwich. You didn't know he was there. Because he's like, please don't eat that. Please let me have it. You can feel that. I feel that gaze and I look up. She's pissed because it looks like I'm screwing off. But then she looks at what I'm doing, and she realizes what I'm doing. And for once, I'm not in trouble, right? Because I've, I've taken initiative. I'm figuring this out. So she asked me about it. I said, I was really worried about this. I said, but, because uh, my dad has a gas. I explained the whole thing to her, and I said, but look, it's going to be all the way out here before we're out of gas. So she goes through this whole soliloquy about how, you know, she's trained, right? Don't think training teachers to, to think like idiots is new. They were doing this in the 80s. And she explains to me, 
how it's so much worse than it seems. That long before we're out, there's going to be these massive shortages, you know. And, and, and by the time this is all over with, I go home freaked out. And my old man was a workaholic, so he wouldn't get home till about nine o'clock at night. So I'm waiting and waiting for dad to come home. My dad finally comes home, and I tell him all this. And he looks at me, he goes, "Shit." That was his entire response was shit. He said, "Write this down: known oil reserves." Go to the library and find out about known oil reserves. So I go find that. And when you looked at just the known reserves in 1980s, and you understood the rate of new discovery, you knew this number was bullshit. So is the latest number bullshit? People like me have a healthy, de- de- healthy dose of skepticism that we only have 30 years of oil left because we've seen this movie before, right? We saw this movie 40 years ago, and it was a lie. So we're kind of like, yeah, I'm not so sure. But does it matter? We're, we are not going to have the sheer amount of easy oil going forward. We're also getting to a point where even if the oil's there, it's becoming more expensive to extract than other methods, these alternative methods, these fossil fuel-free methods of energy creation. Solar is getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And I'm sorry, you guys that are doubters, well, they're destroying the plan to make solar... Wi- Nowhere near as bad as they do with oil and gas. Now, gas is a much cleaner fuel, but way, way less dirty than oil, and way, 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 way less dirty than coal. And it's, it doesn't matter what you think. It matters how cheap it's becoming. And we're going to move into this world. But giant solar farms don't make that much sense. What makes sense is a distributed situation where people are making their own power. And you're going to get to a point, you're already there almost. It's the upfront cost that's the issue, and the scammers that are out selling people grid-tied solar are not helping here with their you know 20-year lease or whatever. But we're going to get to a point where the average person goes, i got to put solar on my roof, I can't afford not to, it's too cheap. Then you're in, the, you're, you're in a distributed Right, a decentralized solution. Now, energy is the one that they can probably do the best job of hybridizing, because it actually works well to have a centralized electrical grid, decentralized production and storage and load sharing, and that's the future of energy. And and you, the people, are, oh, I'm never getting a smart meter. I'm, you won't have power. You better go off grid. You're going to have off grid and you're going to have on grid in this hybrid. That's that's the future of energy. And the future is renewables. And that's not a bad thing. How they're going to do it is a terrible thing, but it's not a bad thing in of itself. Governance. People think this, like, remember what I said. If you had told somebody in 1850 that within a hundred years we would be communicating through things orbiting in outer space called satellites. They would have thought you were crazy. If you would have told them 90% of what was going to happen in the next 50 years, they would have thought you were crazy. I mean, stark raving mad. So when I tell you the current paradigm of governance is collapsing, you might think I'm stark raving mad. You might also misinterpret that to there will be no government in 10 years. Those are very different things. Governance collapsed between 1850 and 1950. 
Remember that divine right of kings thing? Yeah, how'd that work out? So we are going to see government in its current form collapse. Now, the, the danger is you end up with a techno-oligarchy is the new form of government. And I think that's where we're going. I don't like that. I don't want that. But the, there has been such a consolidation of wealth. And this is also what we've had up till now. The wealthy people fund the politicians who make the laws. Okay, Think about what that is. It's a two-tier distribution system. Okay, It's like musicians go to record companies who produce records and sell them to people. How do musicians go largely to market today, direct to consumer? I don't know why record labels even exist. Like, you don't have any need of a record label anymore. You really don't. All of the gatekeeping can be circumvented, and you can get much, much faster detraction. You say, but look at all these people that try and they fail. That's no different than the old one. Right? But they went to a direct-to-consumer model. Sounds good, does it? Direct-to-consumer model. Oh, yeah, okay. What about a direct-to-consumer model with control of governance? And think about what the elites are doing in response to this. Bill Gates is now, the, like we talked about food production, Bill Gates owns more farmland in America than anybody else does right now. You don't have, see, instead of changing agricultural policy, you just buy the land and say, this is what I'm going to do with my land. Instead of changing medical policy, you buy the medical technology and you decide how it's going to be implemented. That's what they're doing. They're buying the means of production. They're buying all the food production. All At least they're trying. That's their, that's their gambit to hold on to control. Buy up all the medical. Buy up all the energy production. What do you think, what do you think Tesla's business is? Tesla's not in the car business. Tesla, the car, is the hamburger to McDonald's. And you might be like, wait a minute, McDonald's isn't a hamburger business. No, they're not. McDonald's is in the real estate business. Many years ago, McDonald's founder Ray Kroc spoke, it was either Princeton or Harvard or somebody like that, some big, big wig Ivy League school, spoke at their commencement. And a small group of students got to go have a beer with Ray Kroc, who at the time, with the wealth he had, was like a today's version of Tesla. I'm sorry, Musk. Or Zuckerberg, right? I mean, it, it was the kind, that kind of money. And he asked them, after they all got their beers and sat down to talk, what business do you think I'm in? And nobody wanted to answer because everybody felt stupid that they would even be asked that question. And finally, one person brave enough said, not a single person here doesn't know you're not, that, you're, you're, that you're in the hamburger business, Mr. Kroc. He said, that's what I thought you would say. Hamburgers are how we pay for the real estate. Real estate's where the money is. Think about where McDonald's are located throughout the world. The most prime real estate in the world is locked up, seized, and controlled by McDonald's. Extremely valuable commercial real estate, paid for with burgers. The car justifies the existence of Tesla to build an energy company. All the money they're really pouring in right now is going into gigafactories to make batteries. There's two parts to the energy shift in paradigm, production and storage. When you use fossil fuels, you need more, you produce more. You turn the dial up. You turn on some more burners. You make some more energy. 
You need less, you turn it back down. You burn what you need when you need it. The problem is then you have to build a plant, we call them peakers, where you have the ability to produce in such excess that when the cold front comes in, it goes down to six degrees in Dallas, Texas, which is not normal, and everybody kicks the heat on, the grid doesn't go down. You have what's called peakers. The energy company said almost the energy company said in unison almost 10 years ago, we don't think we'll ever build another peaker ever again. Because the future's in storage. Instead of having reserve capacity, you have reserve energy on demand. That's what batteries do. And the plan is that almost every home in the developed world will have battery storage in the home connected to the grid and connected to power generation that's local as well to distribute the load. But that relates to governance because if you don't keep some centralization on that, why do I need you? Well, I just explained to you how that works. So governance is falling apart as we think of it. Media and journalism have been completely disrupted by the Internet, but they've managed to hang on. Now it's completely falling apart. It's completely falling apart. The media is just starting to understand that blockchain is more about information than a digital currency that's not backed by the government. They're now calling it a loophole. I've seen reports that in the last couple of weeks. They found a loophole. All these crazy conspiracy theorists and what have these crackpots, these trumpeters, they found a loophole. They're using a technology that was made over 10 years ago now. It's just blockchain, guys. It's not a loophole. But they're, they're shocked. There's, I mean, there's actually sites that you can put information on. And like Apple and Google and, and Facebook and Twitter and Amazon and all these companies, they can't just turn it off. Yeah, that's the thing. You can't do it. And they're, they're completely perplexed by this. They don't understand. They're outraged because they're the ones. You always notice the ones who are in, in denial are the ones that are outraged. That's why outrage is the flavor of the decade. Right? People were outraged yesterday because Tom Brady won a Super Bowl during Black History Month against a black quarterback. I mean, you talk about, you have to be, and if you don't think that's a thing, I watched one five-minute video today and I was, I was sobbing internally with weeping for mankind and laughing my brains out at the same time. That people actually think this way. But even community, the paradigm that is community is collapsing under its own weight because it went for as long as it could in its current form. We took community from something that was naturally innate to human beings, and we destroyed it. We went from everybody in small towns knew every single other person in that town, at least by name and deceit. In fact, when you when somebody said, well, you know, you know Paul Richards, and you're like, no. It was like, wait a minute, how do I not know this person? Like, they, they live here? They've, they've always lived? Yeah, you know, Mike Thompson is his cousin. I know Mike. We used to stay in Pennsylvania in a small town. And we, I know, well, I know him. I don't know him, but I know him to see. Right? That just means if I see him, I know who he is. I've heard of him. We went from that to the average person in America today couldn't give you the names of two families on their block, unless they have one of those memories when they read the last name on the mailbox. But they don't know anybody by a first-name basis. They don't know anybody. Even a person has a lot of friends, their friends probably don't live next door. And when I say next door, I mean like the whole couple blocks around them. We've totally destroyed that. We've ruined it on purpose. 
That was adapting to the paradigm shift that occurred between 1850 and 1950. That was part of how we're going to gain control of what was going on. The civil rights movement was coming. It, it didn't start in the 1960s. Come on. And they knew where it would lead. So what they did, they knew that the black community, specifically, was going to gain rights that they should have had anyway. But one thing the black community had before that time, and at that time, was extremely tight community. So it's like, okay, well, we'll give them more rights, because we can't stop it, but we'll destroy their underlying community. That way they'll still be easy to control. I, I, I didn't do it. I'm just looking at what happened. When you look at what this is really all about, it comes down to, again, all the current mediums of control are currently centralized. The momentum of the required solutions are at least partially decentralized. I've been saying this for almost a decade. When, when I started quoting Bill Mollison, the, the, the solutions are embarrassingly simple, even though the problems are increasingly complex. My response to that was, well, that's true because the solutions are all decentralized. Think about every solution that permaculture offers. The solution of permaculture is, let's look out our back door, let's look at the resources we have and use those first. Let's carefully design our housing and our property to provide as many of the needs as possible for the people that live here in an ethical manner. How do you control that? I mean, how do you control that? Because who does that design? That can't be done by a central planner, right? It, it can't be. You can't have somebody sit down and draw up the solution for everybody and call it permaculture. It's impossible. Because my house will be designed, my property, my community will be designed differently than the next one. It, everything that's attempting to fix the problem is decentralized. So decentralized systems are hard to control, they're hard to tax, and they're very difficult to stop. People say, they're going to shut off the Internet to get rid of Bitcoin. That's like saying, you know what, <laughs> this guy over here that doesn't like what I'm doing is going to set his balls on fire to stop me from eating popcorn. That's about how effective that would be. Like, he's, he's going to get tired of his balls burning, even if there was a correlation, right? Like, as long as he's burning his balls, I can't have popcorn. Who's going to get tired of this, this thing first? Me or him? Right? He's going to stop. He's going to turn the torch off before I cave in on the popcorn. That, that's, where you, that's where that stupid uh, line of thinking reasons. You, if they could stop this, they already would have. What they figured out is, okay, since this is going to be a thing, how do we make it part of what we're doing? How do we pretend it was a higher idea in the first place? The media and the average person can't see the struggle. They can't see it. They don't understand. The, these people are still preaching the old paradigms. Sure, they want the Green New Deal and whatever, but in reality, what they're preaching is the same paradigm. Your food comes from over there. Your medical care goes over there. Those are not connected with each other. You understand this? The food you eat has nothing to do with your health, except you should eat vegan. Right? I mean, this is the line of... The, it's very important to vote. The president has a big effect on your individual life. We can fix all our problems by voting harder. None of this is true. And it's certainly less true than it's ever been. But they're clinging to it because it's all they know. 
They come up in a system. Now, it doesn't mean that some of them aren't being used, and some of them probably are not switched on enough to have figured this out, and they know they're being used and they're playing their parts. But the vast majority of journalists, if we can use I mean, that's another, when I say journalists, my eyes twitch. I want to roll them so hard, like I said, I go to another dimension or something. Like, they're not journalists, but they call themselves journalists. They really believe their own bullshit. They really believe they're on the side of right, and they believe their own bullshit, and they believe that they can restore things to a better time, whatever that means to them. And you can't. This is a, a time for humans, as we perceive it in our lifetime, is one direction. We can go into quantum physics and all, in all types of ways, we can break that apart. But through the human life lens, time only goes one direction forward. There's the present and the future, and the past is done. It's linear. And we know that that can't change. That can't change is the way we perceive our life. We're born into this system with those rules. Okay? Take your Doctor Who time machines and whatever, and that's someday fantasy, okay? In the way this stuff works. And history shows they never do. There's never been a time when the average person or the media has understood that the paradigms were about to collapse even when it was a day before it came. They always act like it's a surprise. You ever notice that? Everybody's shocked about this thing that happened overnight but was a hundred years in the making. And so, man, don't expect that they ever will. Those in power know they need a new way to hybridize decentralization and control. And the model they're going to use for power Because there's, think about why the power model works so well. Because over a hundred years ago, we spent the money to interconnect everything with copper wire. If we were developing all these decentralized power technologies today, and we didn't have an existing AC-based electrical distribution system, we couldn't afford to build it today. We couldn't afford to build it. There's no way in our current climate we could afford to lay copper wire, copper wire the size of your leg across the country. It wouldn't be possible. They have a hard time coming up with the money to lay new legs that are just extensions of old ones now. But it's there. And everybody's used to it. And people like the idea of going green and going solar. So this idea that, well, you can have both, it works well. So they're going to try, how, how well they do this, I, we'll see. They're going to try to use that model in all these places. We're going to decentralize food, but maintain centralized control over the decentralized model. Again, how well that will work out for them, I don't know. But that's why they want to move everybody to cities. That's how you control that model. So that there's this bifurcation. And it's just an old bifurcation, the city people and the country people. That's all it is. They don't want you in the city to see what me in the country is doing, but there's a problem. YouTube. Well, we'll censor that. Odyssey. Shit. Now what? Hybridize it. Just look for the pattern of hybridization. You have to understand that those building the decentralization in most instances, do not wish to cooperate with the elites who want centralization. Cryptocurrency coders are not trying to help the state. 
Doesn't mean they can't be co-opted, and it doesn't mean some of them won't. But in general, the bent is toward decentralization. The people doing the decentralization want to be centralized because people want to take power back. The problem is the elites have the power, the money, and the resources. You think about how much... So you, you try to go to, to war with Bill Gates over agricultural policy, and he buys millions of acres of farmland. It's tough to compete with, isn't it? But the other side of it is the people building the systems have the edge on technology. Technology from a standpoint of something like a cryptocurrency, but something like a communications technology, an ability to disseminate information. We're, we're going to get into a world where short of killing people with cruise missiles, which I'm not saying they're above doing. How do you stop that information? And the problem is the information isn't from one person. You're back to the whole thing with Bitcoin. There's no building with a big orange B on it. If there was, they probably would have blown it up by now because that's, that's, that's what they know. Violence. But what are you going to do? And if you did, some other form will come in, and now you got the devil you don't know. So they're in a they're in a sticky position here. And where you need to realize where this all goes, you might be thinking, "Well, Jack's saying we're going to win." No. Well, Jack's saying they're either we win or they no. Neither side will win. There is no winning here. From a standpoint of. You know, like I said this recently on, I think it was on an Unloose the Goose, you know, like people see this kind of like this thing that like, like a Star Wars movie, you know, and the Empire will fall and the Ewoks will, will dance in the trees or something and, and freedom will, 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 will come to the New Republic or something. That's not how this works. It never has. It never has. Everything's a cycle. Everything continues, and there will always be those that seek above all other things freedom. There will always be those who seek above all other things security. And there will always be that see people who seek above all other things power. And if you want to throw money in there, money is power. Power is what they really want, not money. And that's, that's your three groups. You're probably of the group that above all things seeks freedom. And you start to realize after a time that these other two groups of people are not interested in freedom. They're interested in either security or power. So you see to your own freedom. Then you have the group of people that are interested in power. A very small number. And the vast majority, they want security. They just want everything to be normal again. Is the light stay on, the water temperature in the pool's okay, and I can get my gruel every month to feed my family with, I'm good. And I'll give up all kinds of things if you make me remotely uncomfortable. And this is why those who seek freedom have always been the enemy of the state, in the mind of the state. Because the more freedom one seeks in general... Over time, the more freedom they acquire, the more freedom a person has, the less you have to offer them. Why do you think they committed genocide on Native Americans? It's not just they were in the way. It was their entire way of life was a threat to the new aristocracy that we founded in this nation. Because that's what, that's what the Constitution eventually created here. 
I know a lot of you want to believe it's like some sacred document that grants us all these freedoms and liberties, but we're just using it wrong. Its failure alone should be an indictment. But what was really designed when this country was founded was a way there could be a new type of aristocracy. The people who founded this country and served in its first governments understood that they had a group of people who had carved out a wilderness, who were incredibly self-reliant, and would only allow them to rule if they convinced them that it was by their own choice. So that was a paradigm shift away from royalty right, to a new form of republic. But it still created an order, and that order was still stratified and hierarchical. Extremely so. This isn't some anti-colonial rant, self-loathing white boy shit. This is just what happened. And it always happens. And it doesn't matter where it happens or when it happens. It will always happen. No one will win. Like the movie The Matrix, there'll be a renewing. There'll be a new order established. And it won't be established by the people doing the Great Reset. There'll be a player in it. It won't be established by the Bilderbergs, right? Or the Trilateral Commission, right? Or CFR, or any... No, they'll all be bit players in it. It won't be established by Twitter and Facebook and Amazon and Apple and Google. They'll be a player in it. They'll have massive influence. But they don't just get what they want. Through history, tyrants never just get what they want. And they often end up with their heads rolling in the street sooner or later. The thing is, they've learned these lessons well. And they've learned, let's, let's put our sights at this ultimate goal and even make it known. And let's put it so far beyond what we think we can do that anything we give up looks like a concession. And it's not as bad as they thought it was going to be, so they're more likely to accept it. And the goal in the game has always been throughout history. Remember I said there's three groups? Those who seek power. Those who seek power and get power. Not your little warlords, either figuratively or exactly, but those who truly have the power are cooperative. They work together. Even when they claim to be enemies, they work together. And their goal is to make the number of people who will settle for security as big as they can. And to kill enough of the people that seek liberty to keep the ones that will continue to do so somewhat in check. Because that's how they end up not dead. That's how they end up staying in control, staying in power, having lots of wealth, having lots of money. And this is coming. And I'll save my conclusion for the song of the day. I want to remind you right now before we wrap up, though, you can help support the show by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. Go there whenever you get a shop online. You'll help support the show and the work that we do. Today's item of the day is Dr. Christopher's Complete Tissue and Bone Formula. This stuff is the bomb. For scrapes, abrasions, anything other than like deep cuts, bruises, sprains, strains, etc., Comfrey has been used by humanity for a very, very long time. Um, and this has some other things in it. I use this to heal a tear to both my MCL and LCL. That any doctor that looked at it said, you know, and you need to have surgery. 
Um, it didn't happen overnight or anything, but it did work. I checked total sales over a lifetime of running T-SPAS today, over 4,000 jars of this I've sold. I've never had a complaint about it. I think that speaks for itself. Um, it's one of those herbal remedies that works so well it almost seems to be too good of a thing. It has its limits. It won't fix everything. Can't put it on cancer and make it go away or something like that. But when it comes, again, to, to, to strains, sprains, I would definitely use it if I could access the area, like if I had a break. I mean, Comfrey's folk medicine name is Bone Knit. Give you an idea of how effective it is. Um, it also does pretty good with pain relief, and you can find it at tspaz.com. It's in today's email. It's in, you know, it's on our Discord server. It's on, it's in MeWe. It's every, the item of the day goes up in every means of communications that we have. Um, another announcement I got for you. Believe it or not, if you want to come to the spring workshop, I still have two tickets. I still have two tickets remaining that almost sold out on Saturday morning. Um, but didn't quite get there. So I've got two more seats available if anybody wants to come. Um, there will, there's a post on the website. If you scroll down, it says eight seats remain, but now there's two. And uh, that will be in our email uh, alert today as well. Uh, with that, let's go ahead and wrap things up with our song of the day. I went off script from John Adams' musical recommendations today because this song, or this, this show, could only have one song fitting to end it with to me. It's by the birds. And it's called Turn, Turn, Turn. There is a season. Right? There is a season. Here's some of the words from this old song. Here's one of the stanzas I think really has a lot to say about the way things are right now. A time to build up. A time to break down. A time to dance. A time to mourn. A time to cast away stones. A time to gather stones together. A time to love, a time to hate, a time of war, a time of peace, a time you may embrace, a time to refrain from embracing. Really, think about how that fits a description of our modern world today. And I'm aware that this song comes largely from the Bible, which only makes my point more strong. It only makes my entire point more strong. This is nothing new. Complete collapses of paradigms of control is nothing new and the people that control society are hyper aware of this and they've adapted time and time again to not fight but embrace the shift i really recommend that you do as well that doesn't mean give them what they want but it means accept that the storm is coming and the preparation for the storm needs to happen with that's been jack spirico with another edition of the survival podcast